Will you turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John? Uh, we'll be studying today chapter 7, verses 40 through 52, as we continue our study through the book of John, Gospel of John, chapter 7, verses 40 through 52. This is the Word of God. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has no the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does, they reply, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arise from Galilee. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have such a great privilege of opening this word with freedom, knowing that as we read it, we are hearing directly from you, speaking to us, that you revealed, that you inspired your word to many before we got it into our hands. And now, Lord, that we come before your presence with humility, we pray that you may help us to be ministered by your word, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, these words will impact our lives, that as we learned from Jesus himself that you will speak into our hearts, that you will produce faith on those that still don't know you, and that you will strengthen the faith of those of us who know that you are God Almighty. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are many activities in this life. For example, we have a privilege that often we take for granted is that we go to a supermarket and we can buy stuff there. We can buy food. We can buy apples, veggies, and people who like this healthy stuff. You can buy all these things and you don't have to see or you don't realize how much work was put onto those things before they got to the store. How much logistic is put into bringing this stuff there. This is one of the activities of this life. 
You also have the health workers, people that are focused in keeping us healthy, um, and doctors, physicians, nurses, and pediatricians, all kind of health workers that are important for the normal function of our society. There are also the engineers and those that build bridges and roads and help us to be able to get to one from one place to another and help us to also live in places which we call houses. There are all these things that are important in society. And people do these activities in order to keep the society moving. But there are also those whose job is to speak, to talk. And they are very important as well. They teach our kids. They are the uh, preschool teachers or the elementary school teachers or high school teachers or university professors. They play also an important role in society. And sometimes we might be tempted to think that speaking is not so much a thing that achieves great things, that, that the things that are done that you see physically are the things that has more value. But in fact, speaking played an important role in society. There are the politicians and the presidents and the people that direct the world, the world through words. They just talk and talk and talk. And through that, they make decisions about how the world is moving in one direction or another. And words are really important. Words really matter. For example, you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, that it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. God decided it pleased to him to use the preaching of God's word, the preaching of Jesus Christ and him being crucified, the speaking of words to save the world. In fact, you think about Jesus' ministry, he did many things. But the most important thing that Jesus did in his ministry was that he talked, that he preached, that he communicated the gospel, that he communicated the good news of salvation. Therefore, his message is really important. And now we have in this passage something that is peculiar, which is that we're reading some verses where we don't see Jesus talking at all. You don't see Jesus saying a word here, but there is some unusual or unexpected group of people who will say something super powerful. I'm saying super powerful, really powerful about Jesus. Something that it was relevant at that moment and continue to be relevant throughout generations until our time today and for the generations to come. And this is that no one ever spoke like Jesus. Think about this. When they said those words to the chief priests and the Pharisees, that no one ever spoke like this man. It was true that no one throughout history until that very moment has spoken like Jesus. But not just that, that from that moment until today, no one has ever spoken like Jesus. And you, have, you can have certainty that no one will ever say or speak like Jesus until he comes. This is really a powerful 
statement about Jesus. And the first question that I think that should come to our mind, at least it came to my mind as soon as I read these words, is what did Jesus say? Because they are saying that no one ever spoke like Jesus. What did he say? And they are referring, if you look at the test, the first verse says, when they heard these words, they are referring to what Jesus said. I would say there is an immediate context, which is the previous words that Jesus just said, that Jesus just said before this event. But I would like to include not just what Jesus said at that very moment, which is at the Feast of the Tabernacles, but I would like us to look at what Jesus said throughout the Gospel of John. Throughout the whole Gospel. No, we won't be able to do that. But at least from verses 1, chapter 1 through chapter 7. So we're going to do some reading together this afternoon. We're going to do some reading together to look at what Jesus said throughout the Gospel of John, chapter 1 through chapter 7. Now... I will tell you that there are some, a lot of very important things that Jesus said throughout the rest of the gospel and in the other gospels. For example, your sons, some, your sins are forgiven. And we have not read this so far in the gospel of John. But we're going to at least highlight some of the things that he has said. And what I like to do is, I won't tell you the context of each one of those verses, I will just tell you the chapter and the verses so you can follow with me in your Bible. But I want you to think about those words. To really think about those words. Because we're saying that these officers reported that no one ever spoke like Jesus. So Jesus must have said powerful things. And we're going to get to the immediate context at the end, which is, the previous words that he said before this event. So, John chapter 2, verse 16. And we're going to go fast, so if you can open your Bible or keep your Bible in the Gospel of John, and we're starting from John chapter 2. And again, think about what Jesus is saying here and why you could say that no one has ever spoken like Jesus. John chapter 2, verse 16. Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Verse 19. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Chapter 3, verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verses 13 through 15. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal 
life. Go with me to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 10. If you knew the gift of God, and who is it that is saying to you, give me a drink? You will have asked him, and he will have given you living water. Verse 13 and 14. Anyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 23. Ahead. But the hour is coming. And it's now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such worship, such people to worship him. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Verse 32. I have no food to eat. I have food to eat that you do not know about. Verse 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. We haven't finished. Chapter 4, verse 48. Unless you see signs and wonder, you will not believe. Verse 50. And again, there is a lot of context that you have to put into all these verses. Go, your son will live. Chapter 5, verse 6. Do you want to be healed? Verse 8. Get up, take up your bed, and walk. Chapter 5, verse 14. See, you are well, sing no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Verse 17, he's speaking to the Jews here. My father is working until now. I am working. Now this is a long section here in chapter 5 when he speaks to the Jews. Verse 19, ahead. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you might marvel. For as the father raises the dead and give life them, give them life, so also the son give life to whom he wills. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. We keep reading verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. 
and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in itself, he has granted the Son also to have life in itself, in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for as the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Sorry, I have to keep reading because this is getting better and better. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bear witness about me, and I know that his testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent John, you sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Know that the testimony that I receive is from men, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was burning and he was a burning and a shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself bore witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is that they bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes, is his own in his own name you will receive him. Chapter six, verse nineteen. When they have rode about three hours for a mile, I'm telling you this: when they are in the boat and they are thinking that they are going to die, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, "It is me." Ego Amy, I am, I am, the name for God. Do not be afraid. And we could keep going on and on, reading from Jesus himself, speaking about his mission. But we get to this part where he's speaking to the officers. Chapter 7, verse 33. I will be with you a little longer. And then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. And here is the most immediate context for the verses we are reading today. Verse 37. Jesus is speaking here to the crowd. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said... 
Out of him, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. No one has ever said the things that Jesus said in these verses. And no one will ever say these words because only one who has the authority of Jesus can say these words. Now, you might say that somebody might try to say similar words, but remember when Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven, and people were questioning about his authority, he said, so that you know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, lift up, pick up your bed, and walk. And the man was able to do that. Now, the question is, after we respond to the first question that no one has ever spoken like this man. We have responded to the question, what did he say? Is how did people receive his message? Actually, we could say, how did people at that moment in this passage receive Jesus' words? How did people, or how do people receive his message today? Let's look at the verses. First, how did the crowd respond to Jesus' words? Remember, they heard these words. And the And one section of the crowd said, this really is the prophet. This is not the first time that a crowd concluded that Jesus was the prophet. When Jesus multiplied the bread and fishes, the same conclusion came to the mind of the crowd. They said, this is the prophet. And what they say, let's make him a king. They wanted to make him a king by force. It is because they didn't say, this is a prophet. But they were saying, this is the prophet. And when they say, this is the prophet, what they had in mind was Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among you from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. What they had in mind is that Jesus was the fulfillment of that Prophecy uttered by Moses himself. That they will have no one of the prophets, but a prophet that they will listen. That that prophet will be the Messiah. Jesus' words made the crowd think that he was fulfilling that promise. Jesus' words made the crowds realize that there was something unique in his message. Now we see in verse 41... That others said, this is the Christ. Some have identified Jesus as the Messiah. They heard Jesus' words. They saw his signs, the miracles that he did. And they thought, this is the promised one. They could not avoid the thoughts of believing that he was the one God has promised. In fact, in Israel, people were expecting that the prophet promised to Israel by Moses will be that Messiah that will come. Some people thought about that. So you have in the crowd people that are hearing Jesus' words and are identifying him as the prophet and others as the Messiah. But there is some people in the crowd that didn't like this. And therefore, they question those thoughts. They said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? They were not hearing Jesus, exploring to see if what Jesus was saying was a message that bared the truth, but they were trying to find problems in Jesus himself. 
They said, has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? The reason why I can say that they were not trying to discern if Christ was that prophet and the Christ is because Jesus was in fact from Bethlehem. Jesus was in fact from the line of David. They are questioning Jesus or they are questioning the authority of Jesus based on ignorance. They did not believe that Jesus will be the Christ because they thought that he didn't come from Galilee. But they didn't take time to go and ask Jesus, where are you from? Or at least check with people around, are you from Galilee? They accused or they said Jesus could not be the Christ, the Messiah, because he is not fulfilling the scripture, when in reality they were speaking out of ignorance. So you will say that they are hearing good news and that will bring people together, right? That they are hearing a wonderful message of hope and that will, be, that will bring people to follow Jesus. But we see that in verse 43, we learn that so there was a division among the people over him. Some were thinking he's the prophet, some others thought that he was the Christ, and some others were planting doubts in the crowd that they would not believe that he could be the Messiah. And even some in the crowd wanted to arrest him. But we know that no one laid hands on him from previous verses because his hour hath not yet come. There will be a moment when Christ himself will give his life that will be at the next celebration. They are at the Feast of the Tabernacle. The next one will be the Passover. Christ will give his life. It was happening according to God's plan. So how did the, Christ re- how did the crowd respond? Some said that he was the prophet. Others that he was the Christ. Others tried to confuse the crowd. Now the second question I will ask is how did the officers respond? Look what happened in verse 45. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees and said, who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. Who are these officers? These officers are the ones that we read in verse 32 that the Pharisees have sent to apprehend Jesus. That they thought that they sent them, the officers, to bring Jesus and arrest him. Now, these officers were Levites. So they were not just simple officers who didn't know the word of God. They knew the word of God. And they are coming to the Pharisees and the chief priests saying, we couldn't. Why? Because no one ever spoke like this man. But think for a moment. Why would Jesus' words prevent them from arresting him? Why? I think that part of the reason is that they were afraid. Not that they were afraid of what Jesus could do against them. They were certainly more than Jesus. They were officials, officers. But they were afraid that they were arresting the wrong person. Because they were hearing things from Jesus that they have never 
her before. We don't know, but it is possible that some of the officials were thinking that maybe he's the prophet. Maybe he is the Christ. And we don't want to arrest either the prophet of the Christ. We don't want to go against God. They heard things that they have never heard, though they were part of the religious leaders, though that they were hearing the word of God often. They heard the authority of Jesus and the way Jesus spoke as someone who has authority. So how did the officer respond? The officers responded, no arresting Jesus, no fulfilling their duty, because they heard something special about him. Spurgeon, a preacher, put it this way. Charles Spurgeon comments, like the constables who had mingled with the throne were waiting for an opportunity to arrest the Lord Jesus. They themselves were arrested by his earnest eloquence. They could not take him, for he had fairly taken them. Jesus had already arrested them. Now, how did the Pharisees respond? I will say that there are three words that you could use to define the way they responded. Unbelief, paranoia, and pride. Unbelief, paranoia, and pride. First of all, they said to the uh, officials or the officers, the Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believing him? They were afraid that the message was spreading around. They started, as I said, to have paranoia. They were concerned that they could not stop Jesus. They were not hearing Jesus' words. They were not trying to go back to check what Jesus said. If what he is saying is actually going against God's word, they were concerned that they could not handle the situation. They have sent the officers to arrest Jesus, and they were not able to do that. Also, you can see their pride when they say, but this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. They felt themselves as superiors to everybody there, and what they thought is that those who were saying this is the prophet and this is the Christ were just ignorance, who didn't know the scriptures. They didn't approach Jesus' message in humility, wanting to hear from Jesus, but they positioned themselves above everybody, saying that simply the crowd was accursed for not knowing the law. But also you can see great ignorance in the way they also respond to Nicodemus. Nicodemus had an intervention and talk to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and they replied to him, Are you from Galilee? Search, see that no prophet arises from Galilee. They were saying to the officials, or sorry, to Nicodemus in this case, that no prophet will arise from Galilee. And in that they were wrong. Jonah and Nahum came from Galilee. Will they say that they? Will we say that they didn't know that? 
Likely they knew that, but they were not interested in checking these facts and communicating these facts because they were acting in unbelief. They were not coming to Jesus, ready to listen what Jesus had to say to them. Now, how did Nicodemus respond to Jesus' words or Jesus' message? Verse 50, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, we read about him in chapter 3, that he went at night to talk to Jesus, and who was one of them, one of the Pharisees, in fact, is referred to as the teacher of Israel, one of the prominent teachers in Israel, said to them, Does our Lord judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Nicodemus was using the law, what they were proud of, to show them that they were about to do something against the law. We are not sure if at this moment Nicodemus was already a believer. It might be the case. It might be that he comes to faith later. But at least we can see that there were questions in his mind. He has heard Jesus that unless you see the, unless you uh, are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God or hear the kingdom of God. And for sure these things were in the back of his heart, in the back of his mind, and in his heart, when he's thinking about what the Pharisees are about to do to Jesus. You have all these people that were around Jesus hearing the same words, the same message that no one has ever said before with different responses. Now, what is your response to Jesus' words? How would you respond to Jesus' message? There was a time when I heard a message or a, a sermon from Paul Tripp, actually right here one evening service, when he was using uh, some uh, rational explanation of how or what you should conclude or the two possible conclusions that you will arrive when you hear Jesus' words. And as I was looking into this, I found that I think that these are coming actually from C.S. Lewis, and I will read them for you. He put it like this. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying that the, re- the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus, people says, as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said will not be a great moral teacher. He will either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he will be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You will spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. 
But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend so. Basically, what Lewis is, Lewis is saying here is that you hear Jesus' message. And you know that no one has ever spoken like him. And you have only two conclusions. You either believe that he is God, because the things that the sort of things that he said could only be said by God, or you could believe that he was a madman. But I know that there are people who try to stay in the middle, not to accept Jesus as God, but to think that he was a good man, he was a good prophet. There are religions that accept Jesus as one of the prophets or as a good prophet, yet they do not accept Jesus as God himself. But we see from Jesus' own message that he never, that no one has ever spoken like him because only God could say the sort of things that Jesus said. My hope and the hope of every believer is that if you don't know Jesus yet, that you will hear this message as a message coming from God to you for good news. And the hope for us as believers is that this will strengthen our faith, our faith in him, in Christ, our God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to open your word and hear the voice of Jesus as he speaks to us. May you grant us faith. May you grant faith to those that still don't know you, that they might hear Jesus speaking to them and trust in him for salvation. We know that this is a gift that comes only from you, the gift of believing. But may you help us, all of us who have trusted in Jesus, to praise his name, to worship him for who he is, to always remember that he is our God, our Savior, and our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.